So today we are looking at Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and start reading at verse 1, even though we're really going to start looking verse 7 down, um, but I'm just going to read verse 1 because it kind of sets it in, it sets up the, uh, the story. So here we go. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your one call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into a lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Good morning, Pat. So, Paul, we, we talked uh, last week about what Paul starts out this chapter, talking about a couple things. First being kind of the marks of maturity, the marks of a mature faith, right? Remember the humility, the gentleness or meekness, the patience or long-suffering, as well as the bearing with one another, that those are the marks of maturity. And then he moved from that into the sevenfold picture of unity, the seven ones, the one Lord, one Father, one faith, one, all of those, all these seven ones in the first six verses. Um, remember, it's the first six we looked at that had the seven ones, because if you read into seven and eight, there's another one, and it's, it's not, a, not a central um, group of those ones, the sevenfold unity. Now he's starting to talk about these gifts, the, the gifts as evidence of our maturity. The gifts that are the evidence that are growing out of our maturity in Christ. And we look at the measures of Christ's gifts. Again, stressing the gift, um, the gift of God. You know, as he's looking at this, he's stressing the idea that they're gifts from God. They're not something that you you earn. Okay, It's not something that you work towards or you build. It. It's stuff that God gives to you. They're gifts given to you. Not anything due to your worth and measure, but due to God's worth and measure, he gives these gifts. 
their gifts given, which when a gift is given, good morning, Ray, when it, when a gift is given, who are we to complain, right? Because uh, I don't know about you, but if you've been around the church for any amount of time, you or someone you know may have suffered from something I like to term gift envy, because we see someone else's gifts and we envy them. We see a gift of leadership or we see a gift of of uh, music or singing or you name it, right? A gift to be able to to study and teach the word of God in a clear way. We see those gifts and we envy them. But we have to remember that the gifts are given to us individually because of God's strength, because of his worthiness and what he sees in us. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right. So we'll look at the gifts here in just a second. That's the key part of what we'll look at today. Um, but there's this really weird passage in the middle of this that talks about, you know, he ascended. And what does it mean if he ascended? If that, you know, he also means he descended. And, you know, scholars can't agree on what this passage means. You know, if you take it just from its whole, this is where kind of the idea um, comes up that, well, you know, Christ ascended into hell and he helped release captives. Uh, you know, there's so much. It's actually, um, that's where the belief of purgatory kind of came from, was this passage misunderstood and a few others. And so here's here's what the common consensus of this means. So remember, Jesus said, it is better that I go so that I can give to you the gift, which is the Holy Spirit. And so in kind of this picture of the ascending so that the descending happens, right? It gives us this picture of of God ascending into heaven. And then by doing so, the Holy Spirit came down in the day of Pentecost and now lives among us and working in us. Um, there are passages that say kind of this idea that Jesus, uh, uh, in his three days, descended into hell. Um, you can find those in Romans 10.7, which is written by Paul. Okay, so there could be some correlation here. But the other ones were not written by Paul. 1 Peter 3, 18 to 21, as well as Revelations 1, 18. Those were not written by Paul. So to say that Paul was specifically talking again about maybe this dissension into hell, it's hard because he gives a picture first of the ascending and then the descending. Well, that's kind of what they're talking about in these other passages is Christ going from the grave, descending to hell, and then coming back, right? And ascending into heaven. So it was a different order. Um, so that, that's why a lot of scholars say that this meant more the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because again, what are we talking about in this passage? We're talking about unity and the unity that comes through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so it makes a little more sense to believe in this as being Christ rising and ascending into heaven so that the Holy Spirit could descend onto earth and be with us as human beings. Um, so one, just, just kind of a little side note in all of this, um, because it is a, a strange little passage. In fact, he kind of quotes Psalms, but doesn't really quote Psalms. I mean, you know, um, sometimes you know, like, like when a pastor will stand up there and he's not actually specifically quoting, and so you're not reading it, and so you kind of quote it and kind of change it a little bit to contextualize it into a, a spot. Jesus did that with multiple different passages where he 
semi quotes, you know, and he adds in um, to make the point. So anyways, uh, and so then it turns now, the spirit turns, we return to this idea of the gifts. We turn to the gifts, um, which are given to the body of Christ and it's given to the body of Christ for all for all ministries within the body of Christ, ministries of the church. So when we say the word church, remember we mean the big C body of Christ, church, not a four wall or denominational structure, okay? This is for the body of Christ. We were called, uh, given the gifts of the Spirit, um, to strengthen the body of Christ. So the idea of this is, is it focuses on, not on the, qualities of the gifts. The quality of the gifts are more like the fruits of the Spirit, right? The qualities of the gifts. We're now focusing on the functions of the gift, the functions of the gift, which is this APEST model. Um, we are one, but we're made to be unique, right? Unity does not mean uniformity. And so it's the functions of the gifts and how they're all function in a different way. So it leads into this idea of the APEST model. Um, let, let me first talk about the gifts and we'll come back to this APEST model. So when we're called into unity, we are unique. We're still called to be unique. We still have our personalities. We still have our place for each and every single individual to fit within the body of Christ. And the three insights um, that often kind of come out of the grace and the gifts when you're looking at this passage is first and foremost, the recipients are revealed as individuals. So these gifts are given to the individuals themselves. So each one of us, there, there is not a more spiritual and a less spiritual. We are all given access to the same gifts. Now we have to participate in them, which grows in our unity, in our love for God and all of that. But we, we have to participate in it, but we're all given gifts. We're all uniquely given gifts as individuals. Um, you could say it's not just an ordained, you know, just because I chose to be an ordained minister to seek full-time vocational ministry, we are all called to minister to others and to use the gifts that are given to us. It's not just ordained. It's not just a it's not only for a 30-year Sunday school teacher, right? It's not just for certain individuals. The gifts are given to all of us. There's no commoners in the kingdom of God, right? We are all heirs and children to the throne, all equally worthy of the gifts and grace of God the Father that come through the Holy Spirit. Um you know, when you think about that, because we are all called, we are all given gifts, it also means that there is there, there is no room for non-participation in the life of the church. Non-participation in the life of the church is not a part of God's unity. Satan likes us to try to say, well, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. You know, I, I, uh, there was a time in my life where I said that. There was a time in my life where I got tired and sick. I just was fed up. Um, I, I got tired of the hypocrisy, the things that I saw. And I said, you know what? And this was before there's a book out by that title now, but it was before that. And I said, you know what? I love Jesus, but I hate the church. And, and one day in my, my kind of devotions and studies, 
I got knocked over the head by God. And he goes, but you are the church. You see, my mind had gotten so caught up in the concept of the church as a four-wall building and not the body of Christ that I could effectively say, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Because in my mind, I associated the church with a four-wall individual group of people, not the saints, not the body of Christ, not all of us in unity. And to say that, to say that I hate the church would say that I hated myself which is probably true at the time, right? And, and to also say that I hated the bride of Christ, the one who was unified with, right? I, I don't know about you, but if any of you on here are married, somebody pokes at your spouse, uh, yeah, they better watch out, right? Uh, you can say whatever you want to about me, but you don't attack my family, right? I mean, for many of us, that's the way it is. And that's, that's that idea that I had in the whole, I love Jesus, but hate the church. And then realize that no, I as a body of Christ and the church, and therefore I need to be involved helping to change and redeem the four wall building that the world sees. And that's the call for all of us because non-participation in the life of the church is not what God asks of us, not what God requires of us. He wants us to be involved, even if it is just greeting, even if it is just in the back end doing social media stuff or, or doing website design or singing in the band or teaching a Sunday school class or changing dirty diapers in the nursery. There are so many ways to be involved in the body of Christ or giving meals to students like we're doing right now. Good morning, Mike and Penny. There's so many ways that we can be a part of the body of Christ and participate in the life of the church. The second thing of the insights of the gifts here in Ephesians 4 is um, the idea of what you receive. And what the individual receives is this gift of grace. It's these gifts of grace, verse 7. Grace is unmerited favor. We're not worthy of it. We're not worthy of it at all. It's unmerited favor. We did not earn it, but God gives these gifts to us as his church. We depend on God for our salvation, for our righteousness, and there is no merit of faith within us without the blood of Jesus Christ. God gives the grace and combats, or he gives us the grace to combat evil, right? We're going to talk about that a little bit here at the end of Ephesians in chapter 6. Um, but God gives us the grace to combat evil that is all around us in this world and in our life. And on our own, we seek to do superhuman work, right? We seek to do the work of God. We seek to war against the evils that are around us. And we do it on our own without God. And by human means, that leads to ego. That leads to pride. That leads to greed and lust and guilt, and those become our motives to do these things. Yet the world and the gift, the, the doing it in God's gifts and God's grace leads to his glory. It, it, it leads to being able to do things like we would have never thought we'd be able to do because God has given us the gifts and the grace to go forth. I love, um, so Sunday, I think I shared it in first service and forgot in second, but, uh, you know, I had somebody beforehand 
telling me about um, using the app. We had talked about you know an app uh, a few a couple months ago, and uh, the app would give you a list of all your neighbors, and each day give you names to pray over. And so they they put set up the email, and they get this email, and they've been praying over their neighbors. And a neighbor came over and was saying something about the masonry work, and you know, oh, this is a beautiful chimney. And oh, by the way, I'm a mason. They go, oh, really? Well, we've been looking for a mason. This is great. You know, we'll hire you. And uh, they the guy they said, so what's your name? You live around here? And he said his name, and she goes, oh, you live down on this street, and your wife's name is. And he said it, and this guy goes. Uh, you know, because of course you can kind of be like, well, that's a little freaky, right? You're stalking me. And, and uh, the guy goes, how do you know? How, how do you know her name? And the lady, the individual is able to say, because I've been praying for you. Come on now. That's what God does. When we give him the strength and the glory. I, I mean, we could be praying those names of the neighbors around us for months to no avail. And then to have that one thing happen makes it all worthwhile. It's the beauty of what God does when we let him work and use his grace and gifts through us. Living worthy. It requires us to recognize the gifts given and incorporate them into our lives to do God's work, God's way, not my way, God's way. And then the third thing that we see in the, in the gifts and the graces is grace. Graces are given as Christ sees fit to give. It's not a one size fits all. We don't all have the same marks of grace on us. We don't all have the same gifts given to us. Not all are meant to sing. Some of us shouldn't, right? You know, not all are meant to sing, even in the shower. Not all are meant to play instruments and can't just pick them up and play. In, in Some of us can play, right? Some of us have a gift to sing, but do not have a gift to sing in a band and in unity and in praise. We have a gift, and if you've ever been to churches, praise God, ours is not like this, but we I've seen individuals who, when they got up to lead worship, you could see that they were not leading worship to God, they were leading worship to themselves and to show off their talents and their voices. I've seen bands who have been that way, where they seek to do all kinds of crazy things, and before you know it, you have an instrumental with the guitar doing its own thing, the piano doing its own thing, and the drums doing its own thing, and it's all a messy, just, and I'm a musician, and I can't stand that. It's all just messy, and it doesn't lead you to worship. But when a guitarist plays his skills, and in my, because again, as a musician, I hear things differently, and I hear that tiny little rift of a lead guitarist who just kind of hits that high note or a piano who hits that right note and it just kind of ushers me into worship even more because I hear the beauty of the music that God's created hitting those notes. Or like this weekend, we had some beautiful harmonies going that just kind of lift you up into worship. Gifts are not a one-size-fits-all. It's unique to every person. God knows us in and out and gives gifts to meet our particular strengths and weaknesses. And if you don't know what they are, there are so many different tests out there. There's a shape test where you look at your spiritual gifts, your hearts, your attitudes, the things that you're passionate about, and, and your emotions, right? Um, or how you're equipped even. And there are just great little tests like that that you can take that say, hey, what? how has God wired me? But the best way to do it isn't by doing some test. 
It's by seeking God and saying, Holy Spirit, reveal to me how you want to use me. That's the best gift and the best way to understand the gifts and the graces that have been given to you. So let's go back now. He, he's going on from this idea of grace. And now he, he mentions this idea of the apest. We call it the apest in a lot of church circles. It's the, the ministries of, remember, the functions of the church. Um, and so the functions of the church is this. And so um, the apest model of the church, not just those ordained, but it was given to all in the body. First is the idea of apostolic. Apostolic was the, the first, it meant the, the apostles. It was these apostles that came from Christ. Um, the early century churches, it's how they kind of defined what would be written into scripture was that it was written by or eyewitness account of someone who had been with Christ. Or Paul, who had been with those who had been with Christ and had had a real revelation on the road to Damascus from Jesus Christ himself, right? Um, and so those are how we chose the books that were included into the New Testament portion of the Bible. So that was first the apostolic meaning. It now has a little bit different meaning. Apostolic is this idea of somebody who starts stuff new. So a church planner can be new. Somebody who walks into a church in a time in the midst of, of struggle and begins to reinvent who they are, be able, is able to help streamline ministries, to be able to challenge the church, um, to create new things, challenge thinking that is old, maybe stagnant, stuck thinking gets the church out of their old ways and able to grow and be a light in their communities. Those are ways that the apostolic you see. Um, we sometimes struggle with them in the church and sometimes push them away. The other way is the prophets. So prophets cry out about the world around them. They cry out for the church to seek God. We have a lot of prophets crying out right now, and I hope we're listening, but often prophets get crucified. <laughs> yeah. The evangelist then is, you know, for them, salvation is key. You can sometimes even exclude discipleship. They just want to save people and give them to somebody else to get them uh, strengthened. You know, Billy Graham was an evangelist. He did an amazing ministry and he realized early on that he was not doing any good because he wasn't connecting people into a local church. And so he built those ministries where they would work in a city for months before connecting with churches so that when somebody was saved, they could get them discipled. Um, Often that A, P, and E, the apostle, the prophet, and the evangelist are the ones that we've kind of ignored as a church because what we appreciate in the church the most and it's most comfortable is the S and T, the shepherd and the teacher. The shepherd is marked by compassion and love. They don't get upset about anything. They don't sometimes even don't even call out love because or call out sin. Because they're afraid to. They're afraid to step. They're they're more worried about the butts and the bucks, right? They're a little more worried about that next vote because, well, if you don't like me, you might vote me out of the church. Um, and there's nothing wrong with, with having that compassion and empathy. But when you're compassion and empathy, when you're all about compassion, but you don't have the courage to be bold about things that your church needs to be better about, then you're not speaking fully of the words of God. So we need to shepherd. They guide they direct, uh, the shepherd helps kind of guide and kind of give direction, you know, um, and then others follow a good shepherd. 
Then there's the teacher, the one that sits, that instructs, that educates, that grows others, corrects faulty beliefs. You know, I, I believe that there are some who can be all, um, you know, a bit of all of this. Good morning, Bev. And they can be a part of all bits of the apest. But it all comes from a gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's rare that someone has a good amount of all of these. You know, it's, uh, um, you know, I... I uh, yeah I, I, yeah, I won't go into that. Um, so Wesley, uh, John Wesley called the first three, the apest. These are the extraordinary gifts. Uh, and the shepherd teacher, he called these the ordinary when it comes to pastoral ministries. Um, not that there's anything wrong with the ordinary, but the ordinary by the sheer sense, again, this is what we appreciate most. Remember John Wesley, he was a bit of an, uh, an apostolic. He was a bit of a prophet. Um, and the Anglican church didn't know what to do with him. He wasn't preaching up in the high and mighty pulpit. He was going out into the fields and preaching in the fields. And at one point he preached a sermon on his father's tombstone because the Anglican church had said, you are not allowed in this church anymore. We don't like your style of teaching and what you're doing. And so therefore you're not allowed on this property. But the thing was in those days when you bought the tombs for your parents and you know these tombstones, you own that land. So he owned that little six foot by eight foot property. So he stood on the tombstone to preach the sermon because they couldn't kick him off of it. I mean, talk about a little bit of an apostolic ministry there, kind of going above and beyond prophetically speaking into what our world needed. And then there's a purpose. There's a twofold purpose in the church with this APEST model. And we'll end with this because um, our time's almost up as well. I see my battery is getting very low on my computer and I left my cord at home. So um, the purpose of the APEST is twofold. One, to equip the saints, right? It says it right here in the word. Equip the saints for the work of ministry. The saints all the body of Christ. That's an inclusive. It is not only for ordained. It's not only for those called to full-time vocational ministry. It is for all. We are called to equip the saints, and that apest is given to all of us in one way, shape, or form through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The word actually equip the saints is some in some translations, equipping is perfecting the saints um, in other translations. God doesn't rest until his work is perfect. You've seen that, right? You know, in the, the creation of the world, it wasn't until it was very good, and then he rested. God is working in the church to create unity that comes through digging into the Spirit and realizing that we all have different gifts to be used for the Spirit of God. God seeks all believers as in 2 Timothy 3.17 talks about the furnish complete or finish completely for every good work is what he was seeking in all the believers. He wants all believers to be a part of it, that the church will be equipped to be active in lay ministry, not waiting for the pastoral staff to do it all, but to lead the charge, to say, hey, I, I, I see there's a need in our community. I want to go fill it. You know, I, I've been praying lately. As we reach out to our community more, we are in the county seat, and one of the one one of the instrumental things that we do not have is a ministry into our jail system. I don't know what that looks like, 
but it's an area where we aren't in yet. We have teachers in the schools. We have access to the village council and other things. We've been reaching out to our officers, our first responders, but our jail system is sitting right there a block away. And we don't have a presence to the prisoners and to the guards. So maybe one day we'll see that. It's not something you force when you don't have people who are gifted for it. You don't force it. It takes a unique individual to understand it. Um, but who knows what God will do. Um, you know, speaking of the lay ministry, Priscilla and Aquila, remember them? And Paul talks about them. They were lay ministers of the gospel. They actually went alongside Apollos and taught Apollos, who was Paul and Apollos, and they were you know, the big evangelists. And they, lay ministers, helped equip and strengthen Apollos. It's not just the church called to serve, but each and every one of us is called to serve as the church the body of Christ, right? And the second thing it does is it builds up the body of Christ to unity. To unity. It builds it up. Notice that word builds up. It's an idea of a continual, continual, ongoing. There is a growing that has to happen for us as believers in all ways, in all things, emotionally, physically, spiritually. We must continue to grow. We must continue to Understand more of what God has for us through reading his word, through prayer, and through fellowship with other believers, through unity. So God, I just come before you and I just ask, unity is one of the hottest topics in the church. Always has been. The devil likes to divide, the devil likes to seek and destroy that power that would happen if the church was unified. If the church, I, I just look at studies I've seen even on foster care. The number of adoptable children in foster care is only a tiny fraction of the number of organized churches in America. And if all churches would stand up for the orphan. We could effectively eliminate foster care and orphans in our society almost overnight. The same with homelessness. It, 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 it seems too much when we try to do it on our own, but we were not meant to do it on our own. We were meant to be in unity. So God, I am so grateful for a group of pastors in our village that understand that. That regardless of what end of a spectrum of Calvinist Arminian we are in, your kingdom comes first. And we can pray together. We can lift each other up. As we've been able to do during this time, uh, getting together with uh, the different churches and the different pastors and speaking into their their congregations or their situations, listening to how they've been speaking into us. God, that comes through you. That comes through a, a unity that only is founded in your Holy Spirit. So God, do that more and more in the body of Christ, we pray. 
so that we can go out in a unified voice speaking up against oppression, speaking up against abortion, speaking up against homelessness. God, that we would be a church that believes in the sanctity of human life, all life, not just infant life, but also elderly. Lord, every moment of life that we would take serious, that would include prison reform, homeless shelters, food pantries, orphan care, widow care. But God, that only comes in your strength and in your unity of the Spirit. It's easy to feel guilt. It's easy to feel distracted by guilt because we try to do it on our own. Instead of in the strength of your Holy Spirit that brings unity among the churches to go out. So Lord, unify us, we pray. Reveal to us the gifts you've put into us, the graces that you've given to us that allow us to go out as lay and even ordained, but lay especially that go out into their community, even if it's just to pray over those up and down their streets for that one time when that one individual comes up and they can say, oh, I know your wife's name because I've been praying for you. And when that happens, God, we give you the praise. We give you the glory. In your son's name, we ask it. In the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, we proclaim it. Use us, Lord, for your glory, for your kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Go in peace and have a wonderful rest of the day.